Since you left me, there's somebody new. She thinks I'm perfect, I swear. She likes my body, my class, and my charm. She says I've got a confident air. She respects my ambition. What is going on, you tuned in to another episode of Life in Paradise Podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title, although it used to. If you haven't gone back and listened to my stories from Nicaragua, it could be interesting for you to do so. Every year or two, I try to go back and listen to them, and lots of stuff on there that I've forgotten about. So I'm glad I did all that stuff, and I'm glad I do this every day, because I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. Some you'll agree with and some you won't, and I'm perfectly okay with that. The idea that we all have to have the same opinion is what will lead to the demise of civilization. But if we could all learn to disagree without being disagreeable, we might be okay. Did I mention that I'm your host, Brandon Harper? And if there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I... That's right, don't do pre-recorded intros. So I appreciate you listening. Sit back, relax, and let me control your brain for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. I'm into culture, clean up to my ears. It's like wearing a shoe that's too small. Man, man, man. I feel like the farther we go into time, the faster things are happening. And I suspect I'm not the only one. The news cycles are so fast these days. I mean, something happens, the news blows it up, runs with it, smashes it like a dead horse, and then something comes in and replaces that instantly. There's always a crisis. There's always something we have to be aware of. There's always some, like something that we're defending or some, some point that we're raising or awareness that we're bringing. And it, it's just exhausting to me anyway. You know, there's a certain personality type who thrives on this sort of thing. And you can rest assured my personality type is not one of them. I feel like shouldn't, shouldn't we all have better things to do? You know, when the internet first came about, we started having these mobile devices. I kind of thought, like, okay, this is going to be something, this will be a tool that will help the body of people, the, the population, take back power from the grimy politicians. And, of course, the greedy business owners. But I don't think it's going that way. I think we're, um, we're, we're ending up dividing over it. And there's some little conspiracy theory that goes on in my head that thinks if, if someone out there has the ability to make sure that we're staying divided, they're doing it. They're doing it. And if they're, they're probably gaining from it. I listened to an interview yesterday um, about a guy that's been doing studies on social media and the effect that it's having on people and how it's really, really affecting young girls from the ages of 12 to 14. And how it builds, um, it builds a desire in them to care so much what people think. And these internet strangers commenting on their, on their Instagram posts. And he, he broke down. He said, you know, um, what boys do when they start using the internet is they watch YouTube and they play video games. And he was saying that that doesn't have quite the negative impact of what girls do. And what little girls do is they start, they get on Instagram and Tumblr. And, I mean, I don't know, call, call me a chauvinist male pig or, or whatever you want to call me. But I really do think that if you compare males and females and you're talking about people who like to be the center of attention, I think you will find that more amongst females. And that, that personality type or that characteristic is, is being shown by what apps they're choosing to use when they first get access to a device. And he was saying that these girls... You know, all day long, they're thinking about Instagram. They're in school. They're not using it, but their phones are put away. But the only thing they're thinking about is, like, getting on and seeing people's reaction to their posts. 
And I really do think that that's it's, it's a dangerous place to be because your self-worth is relying on what a bunch of Internet strangers think. And those Internet strangers aren't motivated by anything other than their own satisfaction. They don't know who you are. They don't care whose feelings that they may hurt. They're trying to get a rise out of someone else, number one, or number two, pull down the crab who's trying to climb out of the bucket so that they can be closer to the top. And I honestly feel like that's that's what happens with social media. And people, you know, it releases this dopamine, this, this rush of satisfaction in your brain. And for that reason, I think it's addictive. And it's it's proven that people get addicted to that. It's the, the, it's the conflict that people like. And if you look at companies like Facebook, which, for the record, in case you don't know, I really hope Facebook goes out of business. I hope they crash and burn. I know they probably never will, but I hope they do. Because I think that Zuckerberg saw something, and he chose to run with it. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing at the time. But we've gotten to the point now where we've figured out that what's Facebook's model is to use people to create content to attract more people. And when you attract more people, you can you can sell that to advertisers. And so I think Facebook figured out, wow, people interact way more about conflict than they do about things that they agree on. You know, when I first kind of started using Facebook regularly, which I don't anymore. It's not on my devices. I check it once per day, and that's really about it. Look, I look at family members, uh, sometimes a political rant, but that's really it. And, and I just put the, I mainly put the political rants out there for me. So, I, so one day I can go back. It's kind of like a journal, you know. But my point was that Zuckerberg figured out that, okay, uh, engagement happens more frequently when people argue. And so we're going to facilitate that. We're just going to we're going to mix and match content so that people argue and we we see what triggers them, we see what makes them do it. So we're just going to keep doing that to them. And here are the, the the innocent user who for whatever reason, he gets this really good feeling on Facebook. Now, not everyone is this way. Some people just like to look at puppies and that's fine. I have no problem with that. I don't see anything wrong with it. But a lot of people thrive on the drama. And even if they don't engage in it, they go there to see it. It's like a soap opera to them. And maybe they don't have the opinions that require speaking out or they're not motivated to speak out for whatever reason. But, man, they will check back in on a conversation to see who said what to who quickly. Even groups that have similarities. You know, like what I was saying was when I started using Facebook, I joined these groups. And and they would be in relation to things that I was interested in, right? I got into a couple of dog training groups. You know, I wanted to learn about marine mammal training. So I went and joined a marine mammal trainers group. And I would ask some questions on there. And I would say, hey, guys, I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm here to learn. Here's some questions that I have. And one of the specific questions in this marine mammal trainers group was, you know, when we train dogs, we're able to use a punisher. You know, when we, we, we can use things like an e-collar, for instance. And we could we can create a punishment and a reward. So we kind of have two different tools. Obviously, we have no way to punish killer whales or, or dolphins. So explain to me, you know, how how you guys do it. And you would think that I said on there. So one of my favorite pastimes is hanging puppies and beating them like pinatas. What about you guys? I mean, they went off on me. They told me how much of a barbarian I was for using principles of punishment. And I just thought, man, it's such a shame. Because there is so much valuable knowledge here that you can acquire. You can go there and get it for free. But the people who are there, they're not there to exchange ideas. They're there for the drama under the guise of, I know a lot about this. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to interact with people. And I don't, I think even they're in their own minds, they don't realize how bad it is, how serious it is. Same way with this dog training group. You know, there's loads of people in there that was just a, they got a dog last week and they want to know how to potty train it and there's people in there that have been training dogs their whole life but you have no way of knowing who knows what and so the minute someone says something another person instantly tells them that they're wrong or they should have done it this way just seeing that was a huge eye-opener for me I mean I, I it's kind of sad because I had to quit interacting with these groups even the freaking barbecue group for crying out loud you know 
People would get into knockdown dragouts on the internet with strangers about the best way to wrap a brisket. <laughs> and I, I would just see this and think to myself, man, first of all, a lot of you people don't know what you're doing and you're here barking orders because you don't know how much your audience knows. So for that, I wanted to devise a system that indicated how much someone knows in these groups and that way you would end all of this meaningless argument. But then I realized that, well, that's that goes against what Facebook wants. They don't want you to know how much people know. They do want you to keep fighting. And so once I recognized that, I was like, nah, I'm out. I'm done with this. These people, they're not here to exchange ideas. You know, even <laughs> on a Bitcoin group, I mean, these people, they want to argue. I'm like, guys, we're all here for Bitcoin. We, we don't need to argue about these things, but they can't. People cannot help themselves, and that's why they're addicted. Have you ever known anyone that started using Facebook and then quit? That like, no, I don't do that anymore. Not many. You might know one or two, but you don't know many. How many parents do you know that sit around and complain about their kids being on devices the whole time while they're out to eat or at grandma's house, but they're also on their device the entire time? It is a uh, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I think that the the people who are motivated to stay in power are doing everything they can to continue allowing social media to keep us divided. I know that's kind of conspiratorial of me, but that's just how I feel. And I don't think anything will ever change until our behavior does. And maybe it'll get bad enough. Maybe we'll see enough statistics that say, hey, this is bad. Don't do it. This is the reason why the developers of these apps don't let their kids use devices. What, what else do you need to know? If you had a school and everyone could agree, all the parents could agree, hey, no devices. Our, our kids are not going to have devices at school. The only time they get a device is for like an hour and a half at home, and they have to do it for something productive or entertaining. But we're not going to let kids interact with people who don't care about them. And if everyone did that and all the parents were on the same page, I think you would see astounding results amongst those kids compared to the rest of the kids. Because the only reason kids want to use this stuff is because their friends are. And if none of their friends were doing it, then they would have, they would have no reason to be desperate to do it. That's just my opinion. I think it would be a good experiment. You know, it'd be it'd be interesting to see, like, to do a social uh, interview amongst kids who live in developing countries that don't have access to devices all day every day versus a kid from Sacramento, California, or San Francisco, or somewhere where every kid has a device, their parents are in technology, you know, they've been born and raised with it. It, it would be highly interesting to compare things like you know, how you feel about when your friends do something good or what makes you jealous or what types of things do you wish you had in your life. And I think that would tell us a lot. But no one's going to fund it because no one stands to gain anything if we stop using social media, financially speaking. I mean, we could gain our freedom and our health and our, and our mental health, but other than that, no one's going to profit. Those are the types of things that, that I'm okay with the government funding. I'm okay with the government funding things that no one else will fund because the only outcome can hurt businesses. I know it goes against my whole, like, let the free market do its thing. And, I, and there's also a part of me that says, you know what? You guys want to use all that social media and get wrapped up into it and sucked into it? Go for it. Eventually you'll learn. I don't know. That, that's just that's the types of thoughts I'd be wrestling with in my head. But for the most part, I think I would be okay with it. But nothing would change, right? Because what are you gonna? How are you gonna stop social media companies? How are you gonna stop Facebook? You're not, and and you shouldn't have to. But if the information's out there, maybe it would inspire some change. I guarantee you, you could probably find 500 families in this country who would be okay with putting their kids in school and never exposing them to social media. And that would be awesome if we could locate all those people in one spot, put them in a school together. And, and study it for five or ten years. And for the record, <laughs> I hadn't even planned on talking about this. It just literally popped into my head when I got a notification on my phone. And I'd been thinking about this whole situation, but I was not going to talk about it today. So if my thoughts seem a little scattered, 
That's because I didn't <laughs> I didn't consolidate them throughout the week like I normally do. You see, the way that I do this is I think about things during the week. And then I'll plug a little note into my phone. And then I'll think about it some more. And I'll go back and maybe add a bullet point here or there. But nothing is scripted. Nothing's written out. So I do organize my thoughts a little bit more <laughs> than what you just got a dose of. So I hope that was not like drinking out of a funnel. So now we'll proceed to the first item on my list. And, you know, you hear people in the, in the world of rescue dogs who say, It's all how you raise them. And for whatever reason, people don't understand that dogs have genetics. I've talked about this a little bit before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect it to another point here. And we have to remember that dogs like the pit bull were bred, were selectively bred in order to fight other animals. And because of that, because we had two people who said, hey, this female, she hates dogs. And this other dude says, hey, this male, he hates dogs. Let's make them make babies, and the babies will hate dogs too. And it all started out for sport. It all started, you know, for people that wanted to watch dogs attack bulls. And then it turned into, well, man, that's fun, but it's also kind of fun watching two dogs fight. Now, I'm not saying that this is not me talking. This is quoting people who like dogs dog fighting or support it right so you can put all the judgment aside and say okay we we can agree that these people bred dogs so that they like to attack other dogs and then we can take them and make them non-social and make them fearful and give them confidence at the same time and they'll like it even more and then the dogs that show an extraordinary amount of that prove that okay that's in their genetics so let's breed these two and so it goes on and on and on so the gene pool becomes more and more concentrated with a certain type of gene and because dogs are animals and they operate on instinct and a little bit of emotion they don't they don't have a sense of right and wrong other than if i do this and i get punished it's not good so i won't do it again that's that's the realm that dogs live in whether you like it or not, whether you put them in a stroller and push them around and put clothes on them, you know, none of that stuff matters. All that matters is what goes on in their brains. And believe me, there's not many people out there that loves and appreciate dogs as much as I do. But I'm not unrealistic. They're not babies. They're not fur babies. They're animals. It's remarkable that we can coexist and live in the same world and have them live in our homes. Like To me, that's impressive in and of itself. But part of the problem with our society is that when people, specifically women, started treating dogs like babies, that shows us that there's something something strange is going on. It's not normal. But going back to my point about the genetics. So with dogs, it's not always how you raise them. There's so much more to it than that. It's a combination of nature and nurture. What's wired in their in their genes and and the environment that they're raised in. And when you mash those two together, you get the outcome that that's a dog. And some dogs are awesome and they can sleep on your couch and they don't destroy anything. And some dogs can only live in a crate. It's a combination of the two, genetics and environment. So, with dogs, it's not all how you raise them. That's it. That's that that is not an opinion, that is a fact. Genetics matters. Now, let's talk about humans. With humans, you can take someone who was born in a developing country who stood no fighting chance and hadn't had a chance to get bad nourishment. You, you pull a baby straight out of the country and you bring it to a developing country where they have opportunity and they have parents who love them and they have access to good food and nourishment and, and they get read baby Einstein to every night. The genetics only plays a small, teeny, tiny little factor in how that kid turns out. I'm not, I'm not talking about like successful or unsuccessful. I'm just talking about how the child behaves as an adult in its environment. That's it. So if you agree with everything I've said so far, we're at this point right here. With dogs, it's not how you raise them. With humans, it's how you raise them. So all of the fur baby mommies, the pit bull rescue people who say, You should rescue a pit bull. They're just big fur babies. Even though they're wrong. They still say it's all how you raise them. But when it comes to kids, people don't like to say it's all how you raise them. 
I don't know why. I think it's because it puts an element of responsibility onto the parents. And if we're all being honest with kids, it really is all how you raise them. And when kids do things wrong or they mess up, there's two kinds of parents. There's the kind of parents who make excuses for them, and there's the kind of parents who hold them accountable. And that is a huge factor in determining how the child will turn out as an adult. But for whatever reason, society puts no pressure on parents to be good parents. And to me, that is crazy. I, I don't know about a lot of other cultures in the Middle East or the Far East, but I suspect there are lots of other cultures out there who would put social pressure on parents to raise their kids right. But in the U.S., we don't do that. We put social pressure on people to use the right kind of pronoun and to be accepting of people with green hair and nose piercings and ear piercings and, you know, the, the types of things that we put social pressure on are kind of irrelevant. They're ki they kind of don't matter. The kind of things that we need to be holding our communities accountable for are like, hey, 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 your freaking kid broke into this car. Do something about it or you're out of here and your kid's out of here. But we don't. And that, to me, is mind-boggling. And the less we do that, the less we're going to do it. It's just going to keep getting more and more that way. There's no solution. There's no law that can fix this. It's just, it's just the way we are. The only way that we can change is on an individual level. And I, I use that phrase a lot, you know, in terms of racism. You know, the only way that we can end racism is if we all agree to not be racist. No amount of laws can change the way you feel. No amount of hate crime punishment or regulations can stop crimes that are based on hate. None of that stuff matters. What matters is teaching your children that the color of their skin doesn't matter. And the color of their friend's skin doesn't matter. And how much money their friends make doesn't matter. And things that matter are like making good grades, caring for the less fortunate, helping your friends, providing things to people in need. But those things can't be regulated. We cannot force charity. Those are the things that we have to teach our kids. And until someone holds their community accountable, it's just not going to happen. It's just, it won't. And things like telling people that they hate gays or that, that they hate black people, just calling everyone racist and everything racist, the only thing that does is create uh, more division and a backlash. Because the fastest way to make someone racist is just to keep telling them they're racist. And then one day, they will be. So to sum up this segment, I will say, it's all how you raise them. But only with kids, not for dogs. And now I'm going to talk about something that I typically don't talk about because it gets so much coverage in the mainstream media. And there's so much hype going on around right now. And you guessed it. It's, it's guns. Those stupid guns that we don't even need. I don't understand why we have to have them. Why do you need to have a gun? If you hadn't heard, Whoopi Goldberg, who, <laughs> for whatever reason, we put some stock in her opinion because she's good at playing pretend. You know, she's on this show called The View where you got stupid women saying stupid things to stupid people. And yes, I said stupid women. There are stupid women and there are stupid men. On this show, they are women and they are stupid. Therefore, they are stupid women. So you got the view who's stupid women saying stupid things to stupid people. And I stand by my theory that stupid people watch shows like The View. If you watch The View and that offends you, then, and you think you're not stupid, well, then you're an outlier, right? We have to speak in generalities, generalizations. So Whoopi gets on there and goes off about how, you know, you, nobody needs AR-15, which, yes, Whoopi does sound like a man, so that's why I sound like a man. Nobody needs AR-15. Y'all could keep your yeehaw guns. And then <laughs> everyone started having a blast, making fun of Whoopi. And her yeehaw guns. Imagine if someone got on there and said, you know, all y'all people with your pants on your ass, you can you can all have your clack clack guns and you shoot them sideways. Imagine if someone said that on national TV, you know. But either way, she said it and that's fine. 
And so I kind of have two things to say about this, and one of them you've heard me say before. But the first one is, you know, the the, the people who want, quote-unquote, gun control say that a 30-round magazine is just too big. Just you don't need to you don't need to have 30 shots in your gun. So it's okay to have five or six, right? So we're okay with someone killing five or six people. That's fine. You know, if you want to have your gun and you want to have your five round clip, then that's you could we'll let you do that. So we're okay with you killing some people, just not a lot of people, right? You you can't kill 19. You can kill six, you know, one in the chamber and five in the clip. That's fine. You know, we're okay with that. But no more. No more than that. That This is how ridiculous their arguments get because it's not based on anything other than emotion, the way that they feel. And believe me, when I hear about kids getting shot, I feel a certain way. It tears me up. No one should have to go through that. But at the same time, we can't make policy based on how we feel because they're dynamic and our feelings change with the, with the drop of a hat. And unfortunately, guns that are good for killing pigs are also good for killing people. So the idea that we would change anything by taking away a clip is kind of silly to me because we're not. We won't, nothing will change. I mean, there's already enough 30-round clips floating around that I could get my hands on one in 24 hours if they ban them or outlaw them. It's not, it's not going to be hard. So because of that, I don't see the need in creating all this drama and intellectual inconsistency for things that will have no change on the outcome. That's my first argument. So, so we can all say, yep, we're fine, uh, we're fine killing some people, just not a lot. We'll, we'll tell you how many people you can kill. The second part of this argument which I wish people would take this up more because it's, it's often kind of looked over. And not, not that I think that arguing with people about gun control is a good thing, but I think that if we can all admit that in the U.S. we have the ability to have things more things than what we need, right? And no one really gets to say who needs what, right? Do we really need air conditioning? Could we get by without air conditioning? Could we get by without heaters in Texas? Yes, we could. So what? Wh- where do we draw the line of things that we need versus things that we want? And I know someone out there is saying, Well, Brandon, you idiot. It matters when people are dying. And unfortunately, lots of things kill people. Whether we need them or not, people die from different things. And so we have to look at the statistics and say, Are we willing to punish the people who abide by rules in order to keep the people who don't abide by them from doing bad things? Well, of course, if it gets bad enough, right? That's the answer. If if every computer mouse shocked someone to death when they touched it, we would probably figure out a way to come up with a new computer mouse because we'd say that's too many people dying. But if one person got shocked by one computer mouse and they died, we would say, well... I mean, it's happened one time, but look how many times people touch a computer mouse every day. And so we have to figure out that threshold. And the problem with with a lot of people is that they can't separate their emotions from statistics. And so because of how bad it hurts when you hear of someone getting shot, you tend to want to make a knee-jerk reaction in order to protect other people from being shot and yourself from that feeling again. And that's completely understandable. I, I've been there, right? I've, in the business world, you know, something will happen at the brewery. Some, some bad thing will happen. And I'll just want to make some new rule or policy or, you know, doom and gloom. This can never happen again. And then I'll step back and I'll look at it and I'll think, okay, a day's gone by since that happened. Let me just step back and, and look at the outcome based on the inputs. And... It's helped me. It's helped me from making bad decisions at the drop of a hat. And guns have been here since the beginning of the country. They've always been here. Th- that hasn't changed. What's changed is behavior. People deciding when to use them on other people. And most people who say we need more gun control, they couldn't tell you the statistics. They couldn't tell you whether or not mass shootings are going up or going down 
or the number of people that are dying in them is increasing or decreasing, they couldn't tell you that because they don't know the statistics because they get their news from Facebook and Instagram. And so since Facebook and Instagram profits on clicks, they put things in your face that get you all worked up. We just talked about this, right? And I think that in order for someone to advocate a change of that that drastic or that that big should say the parameters, right? You know, we've uh, shootings have increased this percentage in these amount of years. I feel that that number is unacceptable. And so what I want to do is change things in a drastic way to decrease that number. And then we start changing things. And then if we show that the number goes down, then, hey, our method worked. And if we change things and things don't change, well, then we say, hey, our method didn't work. So we're going to go back to the way things were. And I don't think a lot of people are willing to to admit that or to try that concept because it's not really about it's not about ending things. It's people. I know I hate to say this. I really do. And I don't think it's conscious. I don't think I don't think it's people sitting around saying, well, you know, I say that I want to end school shootings, but I really don't. because you know, this kind of this drama kind of gets me off. I don't. I don't think it's that. I think it's people that need to have a cause and they need to have something to advocate and they need to be in a position of power. And you know, it, there's really two different types of people. There's people who thrive on having power that it makes them feel good. And there's people who don't necessarily need to have power. And what a lot of people do is they mix up wealth and power that lump them together. In my opinion, you can you can want to have wealth and acquire wealth and not necessarily want to be in a position of power. You may end up being in a position of power, but it's not just because you wanted it. It's just that it came with the wealth or whatever it is you're doing. You were put in a position to make decisions and lead people. That doesn't mean that that's why you're making those decisions. So going back to the other type of person, there are types of people who need to be in power. They need to be in control, and they're not capable of getting that in any other way than creating policy and rules. And that's the people we have to watch out for. And I'm not talking about left or right. I think typically this is a certain side of the political spectrum. But in general, we need to be very careful of people who like power for the sake of having power. And you saw this during the the pandemic. You saw people that have never been in charge of anything, that have never had the right to tell anyone what to do. People who work for minimum wage and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying typically people who work for a minimum wage aren't making lots of big decisions. They're not telling people what to do. So imagine working for minimum wage and you're the type of person who really likes power and you like to be in charge and you like that feeling. And you're probably not that person if you're listening to this podcast, but imagine if you did like that feeling. And now all of a sudden you have the right to tell someone to do something or get out of the store. You'd probably want to keep it. And so this is how I feel a lot of the people that react to these these tragedies or things that happen is that and you hear the term power grab all the time, but if you've never actually stopped and broken it down, this is what I think happens. This is the people who are always screaming and yelling and giving instructions and saying what you ought to do and you can't do. Those are the people who thrive on power and because of how they operate, they're not capable of acquiring it in any other way than when it's given to them, which is typically by an election or the right to tell someone that they're doing something wrong. Look, I've seen guys that I've seen, I've met homeless people who, who want to be the boss of their crew. They want to be in charge of their friends. They tell the people what to do. They're always the one telling people what to do. And I've seen guys fly around in private jets who don't want any credit. They'd rather pass a credit off to their employees. They'd rather not be in the spotlight. Yes, they're wealthy, They may have power, but they don't desire it. They don't seek it. And I think it's very important to recognize these two different types of people. And and if you're one or the other, that's fine. I'm not saying that, like, you shouldn't be one or the other. What I'm saying is we have to be careful not to let people acquire power who simply just want power. I'm okay with someone acquiring power who's demonstrated phenomenal leadership skills and who has led organizations and people to great things those people it's good for them to have power it's bad for people to have power who want it just because they want it 
because they will do whatever it takes to keep it, even if it's not for the best interest of the people around them. And one more thing about gun control, then I'm going to wrap this topic up. If you think about anyone you know who owns a gun or owns guns, they don't think that we, they should have to give them up, and they wouldn't give them up. I've asked someone before who says, well, we should just, everyone should just give up the AR-15, you know, you just give it up. And this particular individual had an AK-47. And I said, why don't you just go turn in your AK-47 right now? Well, I mean, well, because uh, nobody else is going to do it too. And I go, and so you think criminals, when they say, hey, everyone, it's time to turn your guns in, that the criminals will, will line up and hand in their guns? No, well, no. Okay, so, so now knowing that, would you still be willing to, to give your guns up? And the, tra- the traditional classic answer is, look, man, uh, okay, maybe I don't know all the solutions, but we have to do something. We have to do something? This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about vil- not about vilifying gum o- gun owners. He just, my man just said gum. Just said gum. Gum. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. We feel like we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example about how every, how every gun owner should behave. Okay, yeah, got it. I respect the culture and the tradition. The what? And the concerns of lawful gun owners. No, you don't. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. Oh, yes, it is. It was, just, it was Justice Scalia who wrote, and I quote, like most rights, the right Second Amendment, by the, the rights granted by the Second Amendment <laughs> are not unlimited. Oh. Not unlimited. It oh. never has been. Yeah, they have. There have always been limitations on what weapons you can own in America. Nope, not always. For example, machine guns have been federally regulated. Okay, he tried to say federally. Federally, federally regulated. But he didn't. Let's just run that back a little bit. And here's what he says. Regulated for nearly 90 years. Okay, that's not true. (laughs) Machine guns have been regulated since 1986. That's when they outlawed the ownership of fully automatic weapons. Get them, Joe. And this is still a free country. Yeah, I mean, listen. He's a, he's a hypocrite. This guy has no idea what's going on. He, he has people around him that protect him with guns. Big, scary black guns. And you know why he's okay with it? Because they're responsible, and they take care of their guns, and they manage their guns properly. Just like 99% of most legal gun owners. Don't forget about this thing that he said. If you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun. What? Have the shells, a 12-gauge shotgun. And I promise you, as I told my wife, we live in an area that's wooded and somewhat secluded. I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here or walk out, put that double barrel shotgun and fire two blasts outside the house. I- that, that, this man say, he literally say, telling his wife, if, hey, honey, if I'm not around and someone's breaking in the house, what you need to do is go outside and take your two shots that you have in your gun and blast them off in the air. And then that way you'll scare the guy away. And I bet I bet Dr. Biden goes, but what if what if they now know that I don't have any more bullets? I wonder what his answer would be to that. I promise you who's ever coming in is not gonna you don't need an AR fifteen. It's harder to aim, it's harder to use, and in fact you don't need thirty rounds to protect I guarantee you Joe Biden has never fired an AR-15. I'm not going to guarantee you, but I suspect. He probably has never fired a shotgun either. How does he know what's easier to aim and easier to use? These people, I mean, they, 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 don't, they just talk of which they do not know. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Just go out and buy a shotgun. Oh, man. I can't believe we elect people like this. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. We elect people like this, like this. That's it. Like this. Whatever this means, whatever this guy is, we elect these kinds of people. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. As for objections that gun restrictions violate the Constitution, Biden says it's okay for the government to restrict some weapons. Otherwise, 
people uh, could go out there, buy their own military weapons, even tanks. Kind of like they did in the 1700s. I'm not done talking about Joe Byron, though. This past week, (laughs) they made this big announcement that Joe Biden was going to meet with Jerome Powell. For those of you that don't know, Jerome Powell is the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. The number one job of the Federal Reserve Board is to balance price stability and unemployment. So they do things like speed up the economy if there's unemployment and cool off the economy if prices are getting out of whack. So that's their job. So they made a big deal that Biden was going to meet with Jerome, which, for the record, this is the only white Jerome I've ever known of. But either way, they made a big deal that they were going to meet and talk about this. Afterwards, they have this quote-unquote press conference. And Joe Biden is sitting there. There's an empty chair next to him. And he starts reading from this card. And basically what he says was, well, I'm not going to talk like him so you can understand me, but I'm going to play it for you. But he said, we're just going to let the Fed do their job. (laughs) We're just going to make sure that they have the ability to do their job. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on with them. I suspect he went to Jerome and was like, hey, what do we need to do to get inflation under control? And Jerome said, well, that's easy. We just pull the rug on the stock market and everyone will go broke and interest rates will go through the roof. Uh, but inflation will go down. And Joe says, well, that won't work because we've got to win the election in November. And Jerome says, well, then I don't really know what to tell you. Either you let us do our job or you tell us to do, do that. But those are our only two options. So I'm going to play this for you. It's like two minutes long. I want you to hear how weak his speaking is, how uncertain he is, how much confidence he lacks. And when he's reading, I know you can't see it, but he's literally sitting in a chair, staring at a card, reading it. He's not thinking. He's not processing. It's just regurgitating what's on a card in front of him. It's supposed to be a press conference, right, where you take questions afterwards. As soon as he gets done talking... They immediately rush everyone out of there and they scream, no questions, no questions. Now, remember, remember, this is the guy on Easter who was told by his wife, just stay here, just stay here. When he tried to stand up at their little Easter gathering, she thought she was off mic, but we all heard it. Okay, this is the guy leading our country right here. Here you go. I have a very brief statement. First, I want to begin by congratulating you, Mr. Chairman, on your recent confirmation of second term, along with uh, Drs. Brannard and Cook and Jefferson. He's reading. He's looking down at a card. And um, uh, I'm meeting with the Chairman today and Secretary Yellen uh, to discuss my top priority, and that is addressing inflation and, uh, and the, in order to transition from historic recovery <clears throat> to a steady growth that works for American families. So Excuse old. Me. So <clears throat> and uh, my plan is to address inflation. It starts with a simple proposition. Respect the Fed. Respect the Fed's independence, which I have done and will continue to do. My job as president is not to uh, nominate highly, not only nominate highly, highly qualified individuals for that institution, but to give them the space they need to do their job. I'm not going to interfere with their critically important work. The Fed has dual responsibilities. One, full employment. Two, stable prices. Chair Powell and other leaders of the Fed have noted at this moment they have a laser focus on addressing inflation, just like I am. And with a larger complement of board members now confirmed, I know we'll use those tools and monetary policy to address the rising uh, prices for the American people. I look forward to uh, Chairman Powell's continued leadership at the Fed, and I look forward to the Senate considering my final nominee to the board, uh, Michael Barr, in the near future. And uh, that's why we're meeting, folks, and thank you for coming in. They're literally screaming to run the press out of the room. (laughs) Come on, guys, let's go. Come on, guys, let's go. And he's just sitting there staring. I mean, uh, listen, I know y'all probably get sick of me and my commentary on this guy, but it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because I love this country. 
and I love what we stand for. And I love that we've been able to accomplish in the short amount of time of our country what no one else has been able to do. And that's because we've had good leadership. We've had people who make decisions and are in charge and they don't get bullied and they know how to think and they're creative and they assert power and leadership. And this is so, so embarrassing. I don't care if you voted for him or not. I don't care how much you hate Trump. None of that stuff matters to me. If you don't recognize how far off this guy is and how terrifying it is for him to be the person that's in charge, and we, we all know he's not in charge, which makes it even scarier that there's someone behind him telling him to do things like sit down, just wait, stand up, don't talk, don't shake the hands of the air. Come on, you can read the teleprompter a little bit better. I mean... There's someone telling him to do all that. And that's what's scared to me is that we don't know who it is. Well, we kind of do. We think it's probably Obama and maybe a little bit of Clinton. But either way, man, this, what you know what? This has turned into a freaking shit show. Did you guys know that there was another shooting on Thursday? Of uh, five people at a ranch in Centerville, Texas, halfway between Houston and Dallas, for those of you who don't know. It was a grandfather and his grandsons all hanging out at the family ranch. An escaped convict broke into the house and killed all of them, all five of them. The guy's name, well, I'm not going to say his name. It doesn't matter. But he was from Mexico. He had been convicted of killing someone with a pickaxe in 2014 and burying them in the dirt under the direction of the Mexican cartels. And I'm just wondering, I just wonder why did this not get any national media coverage? That's all. That's all. You should wonder the same types of things. Now, we can all speculate on what the answer is, but the biggest thing that we should all say is, why did this not get any coverage? And that's all. That is it. You don't have to, we don't have to agree as to what the answer is. But we should all be raising the question when things don't get covered as to why they're not being covered. And once we do, once we can all agree that it's okay to ask questions and that, that maybe, maybe certain people have certain things to hide for whatever reason... Or maybe they don't want someone to get the wrong idea. But the minute we can start asking those kinds of questions, the better off we'll all be. Because we should be able to ask those kinds of questions and we should have debates as to why or what the answer is. But we don't. We don't. And with that, I think I'm going to wrap up today's show. Going to a fundraiser at the brewery this afternoon. We're trying to raise some money for a... Uh, a friend of the program whose daughter has cancer. Man, it's been a terrible thing to see, but we're going to do all we can to help raise some money. He hasn't been able to work, and so you can imagine what it would feel like when you have a five-year-old daughter who has stomach cancer. Maybe you can't imagine it, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone. So that's what I'm doing the rest of the day. I appreciate you tuning in Life in Paradise podcast. I hope everyone has a great week. I'd like to encourage everyone to go out there Keep your kids off social media. Teach them how to use guns. Hold people accountable for their decisions. Vote for who you think will do the best job and not the enemy of your enemy. Thanks for tuning in. Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. He would take from a stranger. There were 13 kids and a bunch of dogs. A house full of chickens and a yard full of hogs. Spent the summertime cutting up logs for the winter. Trying like the devil to find the Lord Working like a nigger for my room and board Coal burning stove, no natural gas If that ain't country, I'll kiss your ass If that ain't country No hair lip poke If that ain't country It's a damn good joke I've seen the grand old Opry And I met Johnny that ain't country. I'll kiss your ass.
Mama sells eggs at a grocery store. My oldest sister's a first-rate whore. Dad says she can't come home anymore, and he means it. Ma just sits and keeps her silent. Sister, she left cause Dad got violent, and he knows it. Mama, she's old far beyond her time. From chopping the back, and I seen her crying. When blood started flowing from her calloused hand, and it hurt me. She'd just keep working, trying to help the old man to the end of one row and back again, like always. She's been through hell since Junior went to jail. When the lights go out, she ain't never failed to get down on her knees and pray because she loves him. Told all the neighbors he was off in the war, fighting for freedom. He's good to the core, and she's proud. Now our place was a graveyard for automobiles. At the end of the port, there was four stacks of wheels and tires for sale for a dollar or two. Cash. There was fifty holes in the old tin roof. Me and my family was living proof. People who forgot about poor white trash, and if that ain't country, I'll kiss your ass. That ain't country. Country. I'll kiss your ass.